Welcome to the Topeka First Assembly podcast. We hope this message serves as an encouragement to you. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so online at www.topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. This morning, we have a, a wonderful family with us. And so the Bratchers, and uh, so uh, they've come to be with us this morning serving at KU for Chi Alpha. I'm, did I say KU? Man, he's probably really going to be offended. My goodness. If I, if I get uh, whacked a little bit, you'll see why. They're, they're K-State, uh, K-State Chi Alpha, and uh, we really appreciate the Bratchers. They're here with us this morning, and they're going to share about their ministry Boy, yeah, the K's, yeah, never mind, it'll be okay. And so uh, thank you so much for coming. And so we have Casey and Liz, and if you will come this morning and share the word of God with us and share about your ministry, uh, we appreciate you guys. Appreciate it, thank you. Bless you. Definitely K-State, I've heard in Kansas specifically, that's an important distinction. People have feelings between those two schools. I've heard. Cool. Yeah, so we do Chi Alpha. We, uh, we actually got to uh, a window here maybe eight years or so ago, like before we started Chi Alpha. So uh, it's, we, now we're in eight years of doing Chi Alpha. We've had two whole generations of students come through, essentially, freshman through senior. Uh, and it's just been incredible. We love what we do. Uh, I asked, um, we have a, a son who's seven, and uh, I asked him if he wanted to share about what Chi Alpha is on the way up here. Mostly just to freak him out. And uh, he's, I asked him, like, what would you say if you had to come up and talk about what Kyle is? And he said, Kyle is a place where people get to know each other and learn about God, which is pretty accurate. You know, I, I think that's, I'd say that's good. Uh, um, I think some of the main things that we prioritize, some of the main things we actively do and pursue, uh, we want to be known as a ministry that, that prioritizes discipleship. We prioritize discipleship. We disciple leaders. And uh, we disciple, like me and, me and our staff on Joe and Liz at sometimes, uh, disciples leaders, and we also disciple non-believers. And then our, our leaders also disciple non-believers. Uh, we, we believe in evangelism through discipleship. Uh, Jesus did evangelism through discipleship. He invited people into their homes. He invited himself into their homes, which would be weird in this culture, but uh, normal in that culture. And uh, but yeah, it was just through relationship, through discipleship. So that's what we do as well. And we also prioritize and uh, talk about and live missions. We love missions. We love uh, the Great Commission. We love going on overseas trips. We love uh, seeing our class as a mission field. We love seeing uh, uh, the employment that they get after college as a mission field that uh, we will graduate six or seven, ten, I don't know how many seniors this year. All of them are going into missions. Um, and not, when I say that, I don't mean all of them are going overseas. I say that to mean some of them are going to go work at a veterinarian, veterinarian office in Kansas City, and that is a mission field. And they, and they have that mindset, you know, because uh, we talk about missions constantly. We talk about missionary every week at our leadership. We love missions. So whenever I get to share in churches, uh, I'm going to talk about those two things every single time, every single time. Uh, cool. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are good, and that you're worthy to be served, and that you're worthy to, to have our lives laid down before, uh, and give all of ourselves, all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our ambitions to you, Lord, that you are worthy of praise, you are worthy of worship. Uh, Lord, I pray that, that 
my worship and my praise would not just be words, Lord, but my worship and my praise would be my life, would be my actions, would be my thoughts, would be my financial budget. Lord, that my worship and my praise of you would not end with, with the words coming out of my mouth, but would transcend all of my life, Lord. Um, you know, like you are worthy and, and deserving of that worship and praise. Yeah, Lord, and we pray. Amen. Cool. Uh, so, uh, so when I talk about Kyle, I think sometimes people have an image in their head of a very fun place, and Kyle is crazy boring. It's crazy boring. Like the the organization we do is boring. the The people in it are crazy fun, and we wrestle. Like literally, we wrestle. The guys do. We break things probably that we're not supposed to. Like the people, the people in it are fun. But what we do organizationally within Kyle crazy boring. Uh, I, I think, yeah. So we've been preaching through Matthew for six years now. We started six years ago in the Beatitudes. And we've just been like, I think the Lord would like to speak about this next thing. So we've just been going through it. And we'll finish Matthew this year, uh, which will be fun uh, talking about. It's been sad because we've done it for so many years. Students never got to to hear about the resurrection, you know. So it was sad that they had to leave before we were finished Matthew. But I'm joking. They, we talked about the resurrection a lot. Um, but we, we get to the resurrection this year. But uh, as I, one thing that's been fun as we, we've gone through this book of Matthew is personally me researching and having to, like, process through every single story within Matthew. And, like, learning uh, what, what I believe it says to me and to the church today. So this is a, uh, one that, whenever I researched and looked through it, really spoke to me a lot. Uh, it's Jesus clearing the temple. We, uh, yeah, we find this right at the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life. So Jesus has one week to live. And this is essentially the second thing he does during that week. So, uh, so it, in context, it's, it's important for this, though. It happens, the first thing he does is the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry. So we're going to read that first. So that's Matthew 21, verses 7 through 11. So if you want to open your phones to that, you can. Uh, or it's on the screen. Uh, yeah, Matthew 20, 21, verses 7 through 11. It says this. The, they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So the main thing to take away from this is that Jesus is now publicly declaring that he is the king that he is the Messiah. Uh, months or weeks or at least a year before this, if he healed someone or someone tried to declare him king, he would shush them or escape out of that situation. He was not publicly declaring that he was the Messiah, the coming king. Uh, but now, in this moment, he is openly embracing that. He is openly embracing, I am the chosen king. I am the Messiah. I am the one worthy of this praise and adoration. Uh, uh, 
because he knows his time has come. He's fully owning it. And then Matthew says this, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city were stirred up saying, who is this? So the whole city of Jerusalem, which is a big city, were stirred up asking themselves, who is this? What is he going to do? What is, what, what is about to happen? Like, everyone is on edge, you know? It reminds me of this movie I really enjoy called Braveheart. I don't know if you've seen Braveheart. I would recommend it, except a few scenes, because uh, it's rated R. So, yeah, don't watch it with the children. Anywho, uh, but Braveheart's great. So there's this scene where, where William Wallace, who's the main character, he's the Messiah figure in this movie, marries this wife secretly, uh, hidden from the English, because he's Scottish and the English are, are evil. And he, he marries his wife secretly, but the English eventually find out, and they, they uh, take the wife and they murder her. Uh, murder William Wallace's wife. And William Wallace was not like a cool dude. He wasn't like a chill dude. You know what I mean? Like, he took things serious. So he was furious about this. And after the, the murder of his wife, the whole town that he lived in was on edge. Like, everyone knew, like, ah, oh, snap. Like, this is about to go down. This is about to happen. Like, William Wallace is about to, like, go off. Like, like and there were scenes where, like, people were, like, peeking out the window and peeking out the door, and there's, like, Roman, like, not Roman soldiers, like, English soldiers, like, you know, like, worried because, like, they know the battle is about to come. The revolution is about to start. The, uh, that scene reminds me of this scene here. The Jews are like, ah, oh, here we go. Here we go. Jesus, our Messiah is here. You know, they're peeking out the windows, looking out the doors, like, what's he going to do? The Roman soldiers are like, okay, like, this was peaceful, but I think it's about to not be. Like, they just anointed a king. This is about to be, this is a very tense situation. The Romans are scared, and the Jews are excited. Does this make sense? Uh, and then, immediately following that, we jump into this. Matthew 21, verses 12 through 17. And Jesus entered the temple, and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear uh, what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Beth Bethany and lodged there. So the crowd, expecting him to rebel against the Roman occupation and the Roman enslavement, uh, they think he is the king, he is the Messiah, he has come to free them. He is the new Moses to bring them out of, out of Egypt. He is the fulfillment of the Maccabean rebellion. He is coming to finish the rebellion and bring freedom for the Jews, but rather doing what was expected. He rebelled against the, the corrupted Jewish custom of worship and sacrifice. This market scene for us, I think, is hard to understand because markets in uh, Israel are a lot different from markets in America. Like where Walmart decides to build its building, it cannot move from that building without huge, enormous expense. Uh, but if you've ever been to a third world country and gone to a market, you realize it would not take very much for that vendor to move its product to that space over there. 
if it is more desirable. The booths are wooden. Their product is, is uh, light. It's not hard for a, one small business to move from one location to another. And this is what we have here. Uh, the market, uh, we have a picture of it. So we have a picture of the temple. Uh, so Jesus cleared uh, booths and vendors out of the court of Gentiles. The Gentiles courtyard, I'm going to refer to it as the court of all peoples. He removed people from there. Um, so this custom of selling pigeons and selling animals for sacrifice was ordained and, and allowed in the book of Leviticus. So Jesus is not rebelling against that. That is biblical. What he was rebelling against is where they are doing it. He's not rebelling what they are doing. He's rebelling about where they are doing it. Uh, see, the space for the vendors had set up wasn't just a free space that they could do whatever they want with. This space they were selling pigeons and animals for sacrifice was within the courtyard, uh, within the temple in the courtyard of all nations. Um, this space was reserved for Gentiles to come and pray since they were not allowed in the temple itself. So we're going to dive into how this applies to us in two ways. And it was funny how uh, Pastor Mike talked about the temple in, in his communion. Uh, we're talking about the temple a lot today. Um, so we're going to talk about how this applies to us in two ways. Uh, so everyone expect, was expecting him to make a scene. Everyone was expecting Jesus to flip some tables. Everyone was expecting Jesus to ruffle some feathers. But he, they weren't expecting them to do it of the Jews. They were expecting him to flip some Roman tables and ruffle some Roman feathers. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the people were probably thinking, like, this dude is supposed to be for us. And now he's flipping our tables. Uh, now he's uh, making a scene in our temple. He's supposed to be our Messiah. He's supposed to be our king. He's supposed to be for us. And this is the, this is the issue. The first thing King Jesus does is he communicates that he's not looking at the Roman occupation or some other outside issue. Jesus says, I am looking at you. I am looking at you. I'm looking at how you worship. I'm looking how you obey. I am looking at what you prioritize. I'm looking at your heart. And this is still what he is saying to us today. See, we want Jesus to focus on all these outside issues that we have. We want Jesus to, to see how badly our boss treats us and how he over, always overlooks us. We want, we want him to see how our children are always disobedient to us and never listen to us and never do what we say. We want Jesus to, to take care of our neighbor who, who always oversteps his bounds, who always says dogs poop in our yard. Like We want uh, Jesus to deal with this guy who just cut, cut me off in traffic. We want Jesus to deal with all this outside stuff. And the Jews thought and we think if Jesus takes care of all this outside stuff, then my life will be okay. Uh, but Jesus, despite seeing all that stuff, and despite caring about all that stuff, Jesus says that he primarily cares about you and how you are choosing to live. As a Christian, we must get to a place where our lives and our desires and our ambitions revolve about the will of Jesus and not about our wants and our desires and our comfort and our security. Uh, many people, their lives revolve around what they want. They revol it revolves around what what's comfortable for them, what's secure for them, what makes their life better. Jesus wants and demands that our lives revolve around his will. 
in his glory, in his honor, in his comfort, in his security. That our lives would not be about us, but that our lives would be about our King Jesus. The Jews are thinking, just remove our problems and we will be okay. But the first thing King Jesus does is declare that the problem is you. The problem is you. G.K. Chesterton uh, was a great Catholic English uh, thinker. He was in the trio of friends of J.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, and uh, G.K. Chesterton. He's the lesser known of the three. Uh, yeah. Uh, he w- uh, says this. So there's a, there was a newspaper article uh, at, like a, in his neighborhood, his town, that asked the question, what is wrong with the world? And like asked responders to write in what they de- thought what was wrong with the world. G.K. Chesterton, this great Christian thinker, wrote this. Dear sir, regarding your article, What is Wrong with the World, I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. We have got to get to and remain at a place where we realize we are the problem. We are what is wrong with our lives and the world around us. Our sin, our pride, our tendency to choose our own way, This is the problem that Jesus has come to deal with. Jesus cares a lot about the temple and what we put in it. Uh, Jesus was mad because we were filling the temple with stuff that did not belong there. Uh, But the modern temple, as Mike was saying, has changed uh, today. The modern temple is no longer something that is built by human hands. Scripture declares that the temple is now you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says this. Uh, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are not your own. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In the Jewish context, the temple was a physical building. But today, the temple of our living God is not any building but our bodies and our lives. You are the temple. What, can, what contains, uh, what you put in your life is the t- contents of the temple. What you spend your money on. What takes your time. What takes your thoughts. Um, what, what you do, what you fill your life with, you fill the temple with. And Jesus today is still saying to the church, there's stuff in your, his temple that does not belong there. There's stuff that you put in your life that does not belong in his temple. And Jesus today wants to come to your life and flip some tables. He wants to come into your heart, into your mind, and help you remove some stuff that does not belong there. That is against his will, that is against his commands, that is against his character and nature. Um, So what we're going to do now is take some time to process what that is. See, this verse is not about commercialization, uh, which I've heard it preached on many times. This verse is about uh, genuine repentance, genuine surrender. Um, This verse is about your life's being, your life's purpose being about anything other than serving and glorifying God. So what are the things in your life that do not belong there? So let's take just a few minutes and just pray through that. Right now.
Yes, Lord, we just um, yeah, say, Lord, that you have access to our temples. Lord, that we don't want to be uh, fighting you over what does and doesn't belong in your temple. Lord, we declare that we are your, just your temples. Lord, that we do not get to decide what is in it. Lord, you do. We do not get to decide what we spend our money on. Lord, you do. We do not get to decide what, you know, our life goes towards, what, our, what we spend our time on. Lord, you do. So God, we pray that you would, yeah, identify things in our life that do not belong there and that you would remove them, Lord. We give you access to that, Jesus, as our king, as our Lord. Now flip some tables in my, my heart, my life that don't belong there, Lord. Yeah. Uh, amen. Uh, yeah, so, so it's important that we recognize that we are, we are the temple and that we are not our own. We were bought with a price, that we are his temple and we are under his command, under his control. Uh, yeah, I think if you, if, if you get to know me long enough, you get to know that very quickly, honestly, not even very long, that I, I have a genuine passion for missions. I have a genuine passion to see God glorified in all nations, among all people. Um, and this, this is found in this verse as well. Uh, yeah, I, I think I've, as I look, I grew up in church a little bit. I, I got really involved in high school. So I've, I've been in high school, well, church through that point in a little bit. I, I kind of grew up in church, not fully, fully, but mostly. And as I got to college, I started realizing uh, the scripture and God's commands uh, I, I think I realized that it feels like the modern church that I have experienced has forgotten its job. Uh, we've forgotten our job. See, God gave us a job as he finished his time on the earth, the Great Commission. This uh, text has a Great Commission element as well. See, the specific space Jesus was clearing out was called the Court of All Peoples. It was reserved for all Gentiles, uh, it was intended for them to be able to come and pray and be close to God, to experience God, to, to see the people of God, to be close to his presence. Um, we have a picture, again, of it. Uh, and, yeah, in the middle was the, the temple. And that is where the Holy of Holies is. That is where they performed animal sacrifices. That is where the, the little Levitical priests did their ministry, was inside that building in the middle. Uh, the Gentiles were not allowed in that building. Uh, Paul actually was arrested because he was accused of bringing Gentiles into that space. That's why he was arrested in Acts, if you read through that. So Gentiles were very much not allowed in this space. Uh, but there was a specific place for them to be able to come and pray. See, when confronted about his actions, Jesus says this. He said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. See, here he is quoting Isaiah 56. Verses 6 through 8. And before we read, I just want to give you guys a, a Bible tip. Maybe is what I would call that. As you guys read your scripture daily, hopefully, I encourage you guys to do one thing. Uh, keep a thing in your mind to look for this phrase. All peoples. All nations. All peoples. If you see that phrase, highlight it. Make a note of it. It happens a lot more than you think. It happens a lot more in the Old Testament than you think. It happens in Psalms. It happens in Isaiah. It happens in Genesis. It happens all over the scripture. Uh, I think sometimes you read over it without really giving it its weight. 
Uh, so this is Isaiah 56, 6 through 8. And it says, And the foreigners, the Gentiles, you know, who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant. So that, that person. So he's describing a foreigner who follows his will. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their, which is the, he, what he quoted. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. For all people. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others beside those already gathered. So God has always loved and cared for and eagerly desired the praise of all people, of all nations. But the Jews, the people of God, let their own comfort and livelihoods become more important than the salvation of the Gentiles, the people who did not know God. Those Jews decided that they knew better what this space would be used for than its original designer and creator. So it goes often with our lives. See, if our lives are a temple, the Holy Spirit, our lives also should have a court of all peoples in it. Our lives also should have a court of uh, all peoples in our life. That's right next to the, to the place God resides. Um, I like to call this court the court of the Great Commission. The Great Commission says this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See the end there. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's for all believers. That's for all believers. That's for all believers. So if that is for all believers, then all of this is for all believers. That all believers should be making disciples of all nations. All believers should be baptizing those they are discipling. All believers should be teaching those around them the commandments of Jesus. All believers. Um, we should be making this a priority in our lives. There's a, a missionary I, I really enjoy uh, in India. I got to visit him my first year uh, visiting India. I've been to India five times now. Uh, going on the 6th this year, uh, praise God, thankfully, uh, you know, if he doesn't come back. And uh, uh, we got to walk up this mountain, which I hated, because it was an actual mountain. And that is not easy to climb, <laughs> walk up. Uh, I sweated more that day, I think, than I ever have in my whole life. Uh, but we were walking up to it to reach a small village with the gospel. Because Jesus is worthy of those people's praise. Um, and... Uh, we got to share audio tracks, like little solar-powered audio tracks of, of the gospel. Uh, we got to, like, do life with those people. We got to eat meals with those people. We got to live with those people for two days. And then on the way down, uh, I just put myself next to Joseph Gordon because I could actually keep up with him this time. And uh, we just talked the whole way down. And uh, he shared this story with me that we'll never, um, I'll never forget. Uh, he shared about this uh, evangelistic tour he did up in the Himalayas where he, he took some, like, audiovisual equipment, uh, and he's going to show the Jesus film uh, in multiple different villages. Uh, so he needed to, to take up a projector and a screen and all this stuff. He needed to rent a mule, which came with a mule owner. So he rented a mule, and the mule owner went with him, 
And uh, they went up to the villages. They showed the Jesus film, and people came and, and repented. People accepted Christ. People came for prayer and were healed. And they did this in multiple different villages. In every village, he says it's like one of the most successful outreaches he's ever done. Uh, that that multi- every village people repented. Every village people were healed. And the mule owner got to see all of that. So they were walking back down from the down in the Himalayas. Uh, um, and he realized as he was walking down that the mule owner never came forward to accept Christ. So he asked the mule owner, like, hey, you've seen uh, three times the story of Jesus. You've seen three times people be obviously healed of their ailments. Uh, this Jesus we talk about, would you like to become uh, his follower as well? And the mule owner says no. He says no. He says, if this Jesus you talk about was so important, my father should have heard, heard about him. But I can take you to his grave. I can promise you, he never heard the gospel of Jesus. I can, if this Jesus you say is so important, then my grandfather should have heard about him. But I can take you to his grave, and I can assure you, he has never heard the name of Jesus. So this Jesus is so important and so good, like you talk about, my family should have heard about him sooner. And Joseph Gordon falls to his knees and declares that it's not Jesus' fault that his family has not heard. It is the church's failure that they have not heard the gospel. But, that, that, but Jesus was there now and, and ready to be loved and received and followed. Um, you know, um, see, the, the church, us, we fill up our courtyards of all peoples with our stuff. And 42% of the world does not have an access to the gospel. 42. 42% of the world has no access to the gospel. We should not sleep at night. We should not be okay with this. This is unacceptable. Um, there's multiple reasons why we put our stuff in the court of all nations, the court of all peoples, the court of the Great Commission. There's three reasons. First reason we put our stuff in the court of all peoples is because it takes money. Uh, see, we, we, we believe, me and Liz believe, that 10% of our income should go to the tithe, should go to the church. Uh, we tithe faithfully. Um, but if we are to have a court of all peoples in our budget, that means more than 10% should be going to, to, to not our use, right? So, like, me and Liz, personally, we've chosen to tithe, and then we've also attempted to give 10% additional income to missions, supporting missionaries, supporting projects, supporting uh, feeding programs that feed children in the name of Jesus. Uh, and to have a court of all peoples, it means that you have to give up already more than you'd like to. Because I know... Most of you guys, your coworkers, live off 100% of their income. So to choose to live off 85, 80, 75% of your income is already so much less than your neighbors and your coworkers, and that's difficult. But if we are not our own, if my money is not mine, then I'll live off whatever. If it means that a child in Sudan can hear the gospel in the name of Jesus. Um, the Court of the Great Commission is difficult because it takes finances. It takes dearly, uh, what we think to be dearly needed finances. 
and takes, away, takes it away from our lives and puts it towards a thing we'll never see, more than likely, until we get to heaven. And this is difficult. Romans 10 says this, how then, uh, how, sorry, how then will they, all peoples, call on him whom they have, never, whom they have never, not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There are two positions in the kingdom of God. There is a goer and a sender. Which one are you? Which one are you? Are you a goer or a sender? Every single person in the body of Christ should either be a goer or a sender. If you are not sending purposefully, if you are not financially giving to missions, you do not have a court of all peoples in your life. You do not have a court of great commission in your temple. The second reason we do not have a court of great commission often is because it takes away social comfort. I know for many people, including myself at times, I do not want to be known as the Jesus guy. I do not want to be known as the Jesus guy among my neighbors. I do not want to be known among the Jesus guy at my work. Uh, but if my life is not my own and I have been bought with a price, then I am the Jesus guy. And at work, I talk about Jesus every chance I get. And in my neighborhood, I talk about Jesus every chance I get. And this is awkward. It causes, yeah, it just causes awkwardness. But if you are going to have a court of all peoples in your life, you should be talking to people about Jesus every day. Uh, again, I've grown up in church. Uh, from my observation, the number of people who bring new people to church is a small percentage of the church. And this is unacceptable. Uh, if you have not had a lost person in your house in a year or decade or more, then you do not have a court of all peoples in your life. If you have not brought someone to the church who does not know Jesus in a year or decade or more, then you do not have a court of great, the Great Commission in your life. This is not an optional thing. This is something we were all supposed to be doing. Uh, but that takes effort. That takes uh, being awkward. That takes uh, talking about Jesus to people who you know don't want to talk about Jesus. But we are not our own. Uh, the third thing that uh, is difficult to be a great commissioner, to be, have, someone, have a court of all peoples in your life, uh, is it takes away comfort in your life. I like this one a lot. I've seen this one. I've experienced this one myself. Uh, takes away comfort. All of us have a version of ourselves we had when we were in second grade. My child, my oldest is in second grade. And uh, I remember in second grade, uh, you get to do this, these activities where you like draw the house you want to live in when you're an adult. Uh, make a picture of the person, the career you want to have when you're an adult. And very few people in their second grade uh, put missionary in uh, Sudan. Um, and you know if you start giving the Court of the Great Commission a little space, it's going to want more. I don't know how many of you guys are parents, but there's a book called If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. Uh, and if you give a mouse a cookie, it's going to want milk. And if it wants milk, it's going to want to take a nap. If it takes a nap, it's going to need a bed. And, and like it keeps taking more and more stuff. And the Court of the Great Commission is similar to this. 
because first it starts with maybe financially giving to a mission, missionary. And then you realize, I actually like this. I get to go to church and I see their picture on the wall. I get to hear stories of the missionary. I get, I get to see the newsletters of what they're doing. And I'm fine financially. Man, like, uh, yeah, I know we, me and Liz have given abundant amounts of, of money to, to mission, sacrificial amounts to mission, and every time God has blessed us through it. We do not do it to be blessed, but every time we have been totally fine financially, if not better off than we had, would have been. Uh, so first you start giving financially, and it's, man, this is good. And you're like, man, I actually think I want to go on a mission trip, you know? And you go on a mission trip, and you're like, oh, man, this is, feels good. I like this. I see what God's doing. I see miracles. I see people repenting. I, I see the best side of my brothers and sisters at church. And then you're like, oh, I want to do this more. So the next time you lead the trip, and, and, then you're, and then you're like, oh, man, now I'm seeing people in my place catch fire. Now I'm seeing people who, who are, are new to this get excited about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Uh, and, then, and then before you know it, you're living in a place that you did not dream of when you were in second grade. And you're speaking a language that you did not know of when you were in second grade. Uh, doing a job that you did, never thought you would be doing. And you see that in place and you're like, I don't want to go there. So I won't even start. The core of the Great Commission takes away your, your perceived comfort. But it's so good. And it's so worth it. So man, tonight, sorry, this morning, I encourage you to start taking the first steps of the core of the Great Commission. Start taking the first steps of, of walking in obedience to Christ's call to do our job as followers of Christ. Because I think the way we think about missions in our modern times is, is flawed. I think it's not accurate. Uh, the way we think about the Great Commission is not with the right mind. David, David Livingston, one of the most famous missionaries, says this. If a commission, or for us like a job, from an earthly king can be considered an honor, how can a commission from a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? Because here's the deal. You might think giving financially to missions is a sacrifice. It is not. You might think going on a mission trip is a sacrifice of your life. It is not. The court of the Great Commission the fact that we get to be a part of it is an honor. We should not think of it as a sacrifice. We should not think of it as something we are giving up. We should think of it as something we are getting, that we are getting to be a part of. Jim Elliott, another famous missionary, says it this way. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Um, see, we too are supposed to have a court of all peoples in our lives. But we too oftentimes fill it with commerce and financial gain, with selfishness, with ease and comfort. So what does the courtyard of, of all peoples, what does the courtyard of the Great Commission look like in your life? What, is, what, what consumes it? Is it there? How large is it? How much of a priority is it? So you can fill this part of your life with things that will feel nice in the moment but have lo no long-term benefit. Or you can reserve a part of your life for eternal investments. So 
like every good messiah, he had an end game. He had a reason why he was doing this. If you watch Braveheart, there was an end game. There was, there was an end result he was trying to achieve. It's the same with Jesus. So what was the end game? The end game was, even if the temple was being used for its original design, it was not enough. Even if the temple was being used exactly how it had been intended, it would not have been enough. He knew the temple would not be enough. The temple can never hold the whole world. It would never reach all peoples. It wouldn't accomplish the end goals of people from all tribes and all nations and all languages coming to the throne. Because uh, at the end of the day, a temple uh, cannot love you. A temple cannot sacrifice for you. A temple, a building cannot be your friend. But Jesus, our risen king, loves you. Jesus, the warrior king, sacrificed for you everything. Jesus, the creator of all the universe, wants to be your friend. And this was the end goal. That the temple would not be the place of worship that he would. Because he is what you need. He is the love you look for. He is the sacrifice you yearn for. He is the friend you need in times of, in times of adversity. Jesus wants to be your everything. Jesus wants to be, yeah, your best friend. He wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants to be that one that sacrifices for you and suffers for you so that you can know God the Father like he does. So that you can have true freedom like he did. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we just, Lord, we just declare, Lord, how undeserving we are for your friendship. Lord, we declare how undeserving we are of your love. Lord, we declare how worthless we are for to have been sacrificed for, Lord. But you did it willingly, Lord, so that we would know you, so we would experience you, and we would experience real freedom, real joy, real peace. And Lord, I pray yeah, this morning that we would lay down our lives as a living sacrifice and live for you, that we would own and be cognitive of and be aware of how we have been bought with a price, that we were no longer our own, that we do not make our own decisions, that we do not live for our own life, Lord, we are yours. Yes, Lord, we give you control. Lord, we submit to you tonight. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. May we pray. Amen. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you, Casey. We appreciate you coming and sharing the word with us and challenging us. You know, I think we all have our, our ways of handling things in our lives, and it's important for us to make sure that we remember whose we are because we have been bought, right? We have been bought with the price with what Christ has done. And, you know, it just may be that in our day and our time that the Lord may flip some tables in our lives. You know, some may have felt like in these last few years that, that things have changed so much for them. Uh, but yeah, maybe God's going to start uh, changing some things for us in a way we don't expect. And it really does have to start with us. You know, it starts with us as individuals, as families. We have to allow him to work in us and transform us and change us. Because if we start, if we end our lives in the same way we started, we miss something along the way. 
If we, if we end and start differently, uh, you're the same. We've got some issues. We, we need to allow him to work in our lives. And, and maybe this is the time for flipping tables. Maybe it is. And I, I would just dare to say that God probably wants to do that more than what we've realized. And missions is important, right? It is very important. I'm I appreciate your word, Casey, because I, I'm, I'm afraid that we, we have lost sight at times. We, we misunderstand because it, it comes in different forms, and we do have the responsibility of being a witness in our community. We have, a, we have a responsibility to share Christ with those around us. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they're like. And uh, so many times we do have the idea in our minds that, uh, you know, it need, that they need to look like us, act like us, sound like us, or something like that. But that, that's, that's not going to cut it uh, because we understand it doesn't matter. Uh, he, has, he has a plan for each and every person. It was uh, made me think of, sorry, now I'm going to bring out stories myself. It made me think of uh, the guy here a while back, uh, what is it, two years ago maybe, uh, that the guy decided to go against uh, international law and authorities and to go to a, a tribe that was unreached. But people were saying, no, you can't go there because we want to keep their culture pristine and pure and not affected by anything outside. Well, he went because of the kingdom of God and he felt like he needed to go and he lost his life doing that. Uh, and it's, I think kind of the authorities probably said, well, I told you so type of deal, but you can't really say that, right? But reality is, is we have a responsibility in this world that we live in to be able to share faith and share hope with those around us. And part of that is supporting missionaries. And I do say a part of that is, and, and uh, this church, we, we have 16 missionaries, something like that, 16, 17. Not that we support them a lot, don't do as much maybe as what we have in the past, but thank the Lord we're still doing that, and these guys are part of that. And, and so we need to be able to keep our focus on the right things, uh, because the right things are what's important, and that's sharing faith and hope with the world around us, no matter how broken they are. Uh, because we've been pretty broken ourselves, haven't we? Yes. We've been pretty broken ourselves, and we need him. He's faithful. He loves us. He cares for us. Uh, and so uh, this time, I, I, I remind you, if you would like to give towards our ministry over and above what we do on a monthly basis, please do. I want to encourage you to do that and make sure that you can do that online and just put missionary uh, and we'll know uh, from that today, or if you're doing a check or something like that, you can put it in the offering box as well. Uh, and so then we'll we'll get them to the, get that to this couple. And we want we want to wrap up in this time. And and I know that uh, I know that Casey had us pray kind of in between. And maybe you're not used to that, and that's okay, uh, because we probably need pulled out of our little boxes at times. And I think that's really a good thing. Anytime we have a little bit of change, it forces us to step out of what we're used to and what we see as normal or what we see as this is how it has to be. But this morning, I want to challenge you uh, to, to look to the Lord and allow Him to work in your life. Maybe for some of you, uh, He's already challenging you for something specific. Be willing to say, yes, Lord. Be willing to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to serve you in this way. If it's, your, if it's talking to your neighbor, uh, maybe it's adding a missionary to your, to your financial uh, responsibilities. Uh, 
Maybe it's something else that he puts there, but usually God, when he asks us to do something, he will provide for us, right? He will take care of us. And he's always proven himself faithful. And so, but let, let me pray for you this morning. Father, uh, we look to you this morning because we understand that you have all things in the palms of your hand. There is nothing that you don't hold in your hand. And Father God, we understand that Jesus gave his life on the cross so that we could have life. And we understand that, Lord, and we are grateful, Lord. But help us, Lord God, not to ignore those around us. Red and yellow, black and white, speaking different language or having a different understanding or view than what we do. Father, I pray that you would help us to view people as you would have us to see them because there's not one human being that you don't love. You love every person and you desire them for yourself. Father God, we offer ourselves to you this morning. We offer ourselves to you, to your work and to your plan. We offer ourselves to you and we ask you to have your way in us. Father God, do your work in us. Flip the tables in our lives, Lord. Lord, do your work. In Jesus' name, amen.